So those of you that don't know me, my name's Jason, Jason Murphy, and I teach here. And tonight's uh, topic is really following up on some a series of talks I've been doing on the um, sublime abodes or the sublime states, otherwise known as the Brahma Vihara, right? the heart practices really is what we're talking about. So just to kind of catch some of you up, you might not have might not be familiar with these topics. Uh, the sublime states are loving kindness, metta. I'm sure all of you have heard of this one. I think of it a lot as, as positive regard. I also think of it as a foundation. It's really the foundation of um, this heart practice. It's kind of like if I can't ha- hold myself in positive regard... There's no way I'm going to be able to hold anyone else in positive regard, you know. So uh, it's considered the foundation. Um, and also, if I, if I uh, can't kind of develop uh, uh, a foundation of loving kindness or positive regard, um, then the other heart practices will be even harder to develop. You know, sometimes people want to go right to the equanimity, right? I want to just be at balance with everything. Great. Try to have positive regard for all things first. <laughs> it's a good place to start, maybe. You know. So loving kindness, metta. Compassion, karuna. Right? Compassion, um, from the Buddhist perspective, is to care about the suffering of others. And our own suffering. To uh, it's you know it's often talked about and it it's one of my favorite really ways of thinking about it that compassion both takes courage and it takes a real clear awareness you know that uh, to be compassionate but to be overwhelmed by the suffering um, the suffering of our own suffering or the suffering of others which is a lot of the reason why people tend to be aversive to compassion. That they care too much. You know, I happen to work in the health profession, and uh, people often say to me, like, I, I don't understand how you could do it. Well, because I care, and I don't care. Because I care about the suffering of others and my own suffering, but I actually don't care that much because it's not up to me. That all I can do is is uh, care and show empathy and be appreciative. But um, it's not actually up to me to solve the world's problems. Uh, And I think that that gets confused a lot around compassion. And it actually leads a little bit into um, equanimity, which is what I'm really going to talk about tonight. So, karuna or... Compassion, I feel like, um, is a real key point in in the Buddhist teaching around caring, right? And even having compassionate action, but not fixing or taking care of the problems of the world, or even fixing our own problems. It's not necessarily about that either. There's there's some some fine line of efforting there. So, mudita, otherwise known as selfless joy, 
selfless joy is, or unselfish joy might be another way to put it, is this way in uh, really celebrating the joy of other people, the, be- the benefits of other people, the goodness in other people, the... Um, how would it be described? The success. Others' success. You know, I just went to a wedding this weekend and uh, a good friend of mine. And just being um, really appreciative of their uh, ceremony and their happiness and, you know, uh, wishing them well, wishing them continued, and she's pregnant, and wishing them, you know, continued success, continued growth, continued goodness. You know that that to me was an expression, um, you know, of of uh, selfless joy. The opposite could take place, right? And this isn't necessarily true in this situation, but just as a point, teaching point, that the opposite of mudita is envy, right? So envy or criticism or like that that person doesn't deserve their raise or you know why why are they so happy you know like that kind of thing. Uh, so it's really not about I mean it, it's about us on on packing our own baggage of uh, envy you know, and uh, really all these practices point back to our own work, right? but in the way that we're reflected. It's reflected in others. So then the last of these um, sublime states is known as equanimity or umpeka. And that's like the, just the Paul, that's the poly term, right? Uh, and equanimity, I mean, there's a lot to equanimity. And, uh, you know, people, someone was asking me about it earlier, which is kind of why it came up again for me. Equanimity Equanimity really to me means enlightened. When someone is resting in an equanimous space, a balanced space, that really ultimately means that they are at peace with all things. Kind of like the instruction I gave during meditation or in the beginning was, you know, to rest in the peace and ease that is the natural peace and ease of the mind. Doesn't that sound great? You can just rest in the natural peace and ease that is the natural peace and ease of the mind. That, to me, sounds like equanimity. It doesn't mean that we're uh, avoiding the fact that there are murders and children starving and homelessness and suffering doesn't mean that we're avoiding that. Right? See, that to me is unbalanced. From the Buddhist perspective, that's that's unbalanced. Right? But it, but it also doesn't mean that we're just focusing on the negative, on the suffering, that we're not seeing the joy. This is where uh, all of these upeka or equanimity is where all of these heart practices really kind of hold together. 
I guess just to say a little bit more, I might, I might get to equanimity. <laughs> because the way I see it and the way it was described to me is like, so the foundation is, is metta, loving kindness. This is where we can start, right? Uh, and it doesn't mean that we have to love everybody. Right? It might just mean that um, I'm not going to wish ill will to the person that cuts me off or gets the promotion or... Uh, you know, gets married, or you know, whatever. Right? Gets the new car, has the, but just bought a house. You know, whatever the situation is, right? Uh, I'm, I'm, instead of turning towards the kind of un, what are called the unwholesome qualities of the heart, which is our kind of our instinction, right? That's that it's instinctive for us to uh, uh, kind of feed greed, hatred, and delusion, and that's why this practice is going against the stream. Greed, hatred, and delusion is the norm. This practice is about going against that in our own hearts and minds. But not being delusional and thinking that uh, it's everything's going to be just perfect now. Because that's not reality. So this foundation of, can I just begin to have a positive regard for all beings? Right? And even the people I don't like. That's actually a great place to start. <laughs> and if that's too difficult, right? Then, you know, start with someone that I like a little bit, but they bug me. You know, like my sister. <laughs> I love my sister. And she bugs me. You know? so, it's, it's, so that's a great place for me to practice, right? I hope she doesn't hear this talk. She'll get mad at me. <laughs> She probably won't. Anyway. And then from there, this foundation, compassion and uh, uh, mudita are the, the walls. You know, they're the framing of the work that we're going to do. The structure. And they actually really play off each other, right? We have, we have compassion, the care for the suffering, for our own <laughs> suffering and the suffering of others. It's actually necessary. We can't actually do anything about our suffering if we can't acknowledge it clearly, openly, honestly, and feel it. <clears throat> the pain of it. Feel the, the, the waves of suffering. There's actually nothing we can do about it. And then uh, joy is the, uh, or, or selfish. Joy is the turning, like it allows the heart to open. Gladdening the heart is often what's, what is talked about with joy. So we're seeing the suffering in the world and we're seeing the joy in the world. And this is helping us to be balanced. Equanimity is the kind of the roof of, of, of this whole um, practice. Because actually, equanimity falls on two sides of, of uh, the teaching. There is the heart practices and the wisdom practices, often known as the, the wings of awakening. Right? Equanimity falls on both sides of the practice, both as uh, discerning the wisdom in balance and also holding uh, all of the Brahma Viharas, all of the Kindness and compassion and joy with a balanced heart. That's that's the idea there. 
So these these attitudes, these um, Brahma Viharas, are considered to be the answer to all conflict or situations arising from social contact. So, you know, this is uh, what has been kind of passed down, this idea of that these are ethical antidotes to all conflict in the world. Uh, I remember a... um, Tia Stover, a uh, San Francisco uh, Zen Center uh, priest, uh, said to me, we were in a teaching one time, was talking about uh, her, her work, uh, actually I think as an abbot uh, in some monastery or something like that, some Zen <clears throat> Center, and said that, uh, you know, this whole life and the practice, even even here, right, is about bumping up against each other. Like we're all stones in the stream and we need to bump up against each other to smooth out our own edges. It's not about I'm going to smooth off your edges. It's more like I need to bump up against others and other people's ideas and other people's differences to smooth out my own edges. Because who else can do this work but me? So the uh, Brahma Viharas are a way to kind of um, hold all this. So this is one of my favorite aspects of Buddhism, equanimity. Because this teaching allows me to both be engaged in the world. It, It actually is about seeing clearly and being engaged without being overwhelmed. And I don't know if it's true for you, but uh, so often I see uh, a kind of pulling away. from, And I, you know, I, I, I do it. I have done it in some ways as a protection. Pulling away as a protection. Especially like, I remember... Mm, I mean, I guess we're still in a war, right? But I, but uh, like when it was really kind of heavy over in Iraq and stuff, and um, you know, a few years ago, I just stopped watching the news and reading the paper. I just stopped it, and it was a little bit of like enough already, and it was also like a closing off to the suffering that was taking place there. It was like kind of after, in Iraq, yeah, it was after like Hussein, Hussein or whatever got, you know, kind of taken out of power and got killed and all that. And then just all that stuff, right? And the whole uh, Bin Laden and, you know, it just was all this like, you know, when it was like terror, terror, terror. I just, I just said enough. And I closed my heart to it. And it was a little bit of a protection so clear that's not the most equanimous responses. So I'm clearly not enlightened. But the awareness of it, and then the turning back towards the compassion, right? or Gaza Strip, or you know the world affairs, uh, Egypt. I remember when you know the thing that happened in Egypt. So there's this like worldly understanding of the universality of suffering. That's kind of worth what positive regard is. That's what metta is about. And compassion too. 
So in some ways, it's easy to kind of carry an equanimous response to all of it, but it's also, like I just gave the example, we can also turn away from it, or we can be overwhelmed by it, right? You know? So that's one example. Another example is how do we bring it right here, home, our relationship with my relationship with my sister, you know, <laughs> or uh, my mom, or, you know, people I work with, my friends, family. So I think um, when I think of equanimity, I think of realism and optimism. To be a realist about what has happened in this world, in our own lives, in our own bodies, and to be an optimist. To also see the good that is present. Or see, just see, see clearly and have some brightness. Not false though. So the Buddha taught, looking into life, we notice how it continually moves between the contrasts, the rise and fall, success and failure, loss and gain, praise and blame. This kind of, the vicissitudes of life is often what the way it's talked about. We feel, you know, how our heart responds to all this with happiness or sorrow, delight and despair, disappointment and satisfaction, hope and fear. So this kind of, I think of it like the waves just kind of, can they continue to come? Sometimes they're, they're huge and they're crashing down and sometimes they're just little light. Slaps on the shore, but they're still, they're always coming. This is the way I think uh, the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows can be talked about. The waves of emotion, right, that carry us up and fling us down. No sooner do we find rest than, you know, the, the power of a new wave takes us over again. So balance, you know, is the ability to ride these waves, right? To ride the waves of life. I think that's been some, somehow crept its way from the 60s into our consciousness of like, you know, the waves aren't going to stop, so what do you do? You learn to surf, right? Some Baba G, some of the rather guru guy said that sometime. I don't know who it was. I can't remember. I saw a book once though about it. And it's so true that equanimity is the ability to surf the waves of life and not get crushed by them. And learn how to, and maybe it's to learn how to duck dive sometimes. You know, how do you get under a wave without having, you don't have to confront every single wave. But how do you learn to duck dive under the really big scary ones? You know, that's skillful. We talk a lot in this practice about skillful means. So balance is the ability, the 10,000 joys and sorrows, right? The question that that I ask a lot in my own practice, and there's a little bit around the peace and ease thing that I asked earlier, is can I be at ease with whatever ha- is happening? Can I be at ease 
with whatever is going on, with whatever is happening within me and around me, pleasant, unpleasant, or neither, can I be at ease? That's actually a question that uh, I encourage you to ask yourself. Or even you can change it to, I can be at ease with whatever is present. Pleasant, unpleasant, and neither. I can be at ease. So that's a little bit of kind of like shifting. The the first is a question, the second is an affirmation. So the thing about equanimity that I... I love and how it relates to karma is, you know, the equanimity looks upon all beings impartially. It's not you deserve this, you deserve that. Just like ups, just like the ups and downs, we're all dealing with it. We all have the depressions or the sorrows or the joys or the envy or the seemingly crisis or, you know. So this idea of equanimity is uh, that we are that we are all heirs to the results of our own actions, and then without attachment or aversion, just really recognizing that. So equanimity looks upon all beings impartially as heirs to their own results based on their own actions. That doesn't mean you're to blame, but it does mean that we're responsible, and that's. That's like that, that saying, karma is a bitch, right? Karma's a bitch. Which means, no one gets away with anything. Right? In, from the Buddhist perspective, no one gets away with anything. And when the difficulties arise, how we deal with them in the moment, in the current moment, whether we can have an equanimous response or not, and whether we can or can't, it's just the way it is. But when we can be at ease with whatever our situation is, pleasant, unpleasant, or neither, uh, the idea is that we're growing. We're growing our hearts and minds. We're becoming more balanced. And sometimes, that just means, you know, just staying, just treading water, you know, just not drowning in the karmic momentum, in the huge wave of whatever, you know, sadness or depression or anger or, you know, whatever is taking us over. Umpeka, or equanimity, is is the serene neutrality of the one who knows and has faith in karmic momentum. The kind of second... uh, Characteristic of the three characteristics of existence is that which arises passes away. So, can we really allow that to happen? Sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. So, equanimity from this Buddhist perspective, you know, is perfect, unshakable balance of mind. Perfect or unshakable balance of mind rooted in insight. So this practice 
the kind of end result, and this has kind of been true for me as I've been looking at, you know, studying all the lists, right? There's so many lists, right? 37 wings of awakening, they call it, right? The 37 lists that the Buddha taught, kind of packaged. It was interesting the way that as the Buddha began teaching, he wasn't very organized. (laughs) And then he started to become more organized as his teaching progressed, you know, because he was brilliant, obviously, and figuring out ways to communicate certain teachings to help certain people, and then began to, um, in his later years, uh, kind of package them in sections, such as sublime abodes, being one particular package of teachings. Pretty brilliant. And maybe even knowing that if it would be easier for people to carry it on that way, to remember So this insight is is the vehicle to equanimity, to balance. That's ultimately this peace and ease that I spoke of earlier. The natural resting place of the mind. The way... um, The way Ajahn Pasano described it to me, Ajahn Pasano is the abbot of Abayagiri Monastery up in Yukaya and comes down here sometimes with some of their monks and stuff. And uh, the way he described, so Abayagiri means fearless mountain and basically their monastery is, is this huge forested area, this huge forested mountain where they have these little huts kind of tucked up. It's gorgeous and beautiful. I try to go there every year. And... The last time I was there, actually, we were talking about equanimity and insight and this peace and ease of the mind. And Ajahn Pasano said, you know, it's like the forest is its natural resting place, a tree. Its natural resting place is peace and ease. And then the vicissitudes of life come. Every year storms come, dryness comes, you know, heat comes, winds come, rains come. And the, the, the tree is then responding to all that's what's happening. But it's still at its core function. It's peace and ease. Stillness. And it just is, you know, responding to what's happening. It sways and the tr- leaves fall off or the roots get exposed or you know, a branch breaks off. But it's natural resting place, this peace and ease. And he actually spoke about that as being in the whole, being the, like the forest itself, nature itself. Of course, being a forest monk, he relates everything from nature to our minds. So he's the one that gave me that teaching. The natural peace and ease, that is the natural peace and ease of the mind. Can we rest there? We can. Or we can continue to get, you know, I mean, we get whirled up. The the winds rise. The rain falls. We react. We're not to blame. But we are responsible. 
is so important. Because I start to think, even in my own, especially early in my practice, if I'm not a good Buddhist, then I'm a bad Buddhist. Or I'm a bad person. You know, If I'm not living each... Uh, each of these sublime abodes, you know, like perfectly every day, especially as a te- like you're a teacher and you cuss and you flip people off. I don't do that that much anymore, but I used to before I was a teacher. <laughs> no. Um, but the idea is that this is our, you know, there's the natural... There's a, a, a natural peace and ease, but there's also there's the causes and conditions that have got us so addicted in some ways to greed, hatred, and delusion. And it's really, really difficult. So much that after the Buddha had reached enlightenment, he sat pondering in his enlightened state. I'm not sure if they can get it. I'm not sure if there is... It was so difficult for me, the Buddha said. It was so difficult, so challenging. I'm not sure if humanity can do it. I barely did it myself. That's when he began to talk about how against the stream this practice is. Against the flow of life. The greed, hatred, and delusion is the norm But we can do it. It's possible. It's been shown generation after generation, right? It's also why I love the teaching about the dust in the eyes. The way the story goes is that um, as he was beginning to kind of search the world with his, you know, what's called the Dharma eye, this kind of all seeing kind of awareness, he would see. It came to his into his mind that there will be some in every generation with less dust in their eyes. There will be some that will be able to see clearly. They'll have enough suffering coupled with enough awareness to seek the end of suffering for themselves and, and thus find the practice. So some would say we're the lucky few. I don't know about for you, but when I when I first really gave, gave meditation and started to listen to Dharma talks and read books, I was just so turned on. Like right away, I was just like, when I really gave it a shot, you know, I was just like, oh, this is truth. I just knew it in my heart. Something vibrated in me. That just told me this is true for me. And then I started reading some of the teachings where the Buddha was like, see for yourself if this is true. And I was like, oh, okay, this makes sense. So equanimity, loving kindness, compassion, selfless joy, Foundations, the heart practices. How do we live in a way that is 
that is balanced, you know. Let me just read this last piece. This is by uh, a monk. I always get his name wrong, but it's Nayana Ponika Tera. Nayana, Nayana Ponika Tera. Uh, he's dead now, but he was a scholarly writer. Talks about equanimity. Equanimity guards love and compassion from being uh, dispassioned. In vain quests. And from going astray in the labyrinths of the uncontrolled emotion. So uh, equanimity guards love and compassion from their extremes. Right? Because we can be drunk with love. Right? We can be overwhelmed by compassion. Equanimity is the balance. The reality, like I said, realism versus optimism, right? It's the the balance. Let me just give one more definition and then I'll open up to a question or two. Equanimity, which means even-mindedness, gives to love and uh, gives to love and even unchanging firmness and loyalty. It endows it with the great virtue of patience. So there's a translation that equanimity can be considered patience. And that suffering can be considered impatience. And just think for yourself, when I'm impatient, am I suffering? 